1: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, and
2: welcome back to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast. I'm your host, Emily Rose, and I'm here with a special episode. I'm here with part two of a two-hour conversation that I got to have with one of my favorite content creators, Casey Davis. And she's over in her corner doing work that I can actually say is life-changing. She is one of the few content creators who I can actually say has made my life significantly better. Because her one of the central, the central thesis of her work is it's like the anti-self-care, self-care help You know, it's like struggle care. Like, that's the name of her platform, her podcast. Um, Her book is also called How to Keep House While Drowning. And it's just about giving yourself those little life rafts, giving yourself permission to use shortcuts that will make your life better when you're not able to function, which I know is um, a lot of us listeners, (laughs) a lot of me and you guys, a lot of the time. So, um, if you haven't already tuned into her content please check it out I, it, a lot of it is like focused on parenting but even for me as a non-parent like i'm i'm like taking notes and actually implementing a lot of the things um that she's done and we talk about that in the episode part 1 is going to be um over on her podcast it'll be also linked down below in the episode description um, but we found this lovely overlap between both of our our content Our little, the little central, center part of the Venn diagram, um, which is love is blind and toxic relationship dynamics. So we talk about red flags and green flags and how to interpret those when it's ambiguous. It's not always clear and a red flag to some is going to be a green flag to others. So we get into that, but Casey is trained in um, relationship counseling and, so I got to pick her brain um, for all of her expertise. And so that's that's it. I'm going to get right into it. I just want to say before I sign off that I, I love you guys. I really, really do. And I appreciate you for tuning in. And I feel like this is just some little cozy time that we get to spend together. Um, yeah, that's it. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. And I guess, shall we chat first about what we're doing here? Yeah, what are we doing? We have coin overlap in the Venn diagram, which is people exhibiting a vast array of behaviors, both healthy and toxic, mostly toxic on reality TV. I love it. And I've been talking a lot
3: about relationships on my TikTok channel, and I'm actually in the middle of writing my next book, which is on relationships. And I also happen to be an avid watcher of Love
2: is Blind. Okay, amazing. I'm so excited for your book on relationships because your book, Struggle Care, actually changed the game for me. Yeah, I don't think I told you that, but you had me in some dark times using paper plates, which... If anyone's listening from my side of the internet, it's one of the most beautiful gifts that you could have brought into my life, which is like, we love the planet, we care about it. But when you're down and out, do what you got to do during that time. And if you can swing it, they make compostable ones, which I find alleviates the guilt a little. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I had a moment where actually jumping ahead a little bit here, but Izzy in Love is Blind had red solo cups. And I was like, red flag, unless he's a struggle care reader. And he's just going through some hard time. Wait, that's so funny, because I had that one
3: on my list, too. So for those of you, so Emily and I made separate lists of the red flags, like the relationship red flags that we saw in Love is Blind. And I mean, there's obviously not enough hours in the day to go over all of them. So I just picked
2: like three. But it's funny because that situation almost made it on my list. Okay. It's funny because for me, I was like, this is potential red flag, but there's an asterisk because depending on whatever's going on in his life, like he gets a pass. Wait, was your red flag that he had cup, red solo cups? I think... For me, that's just like one element of like a greater picture of men who don't furnish their apartments and like wait for a woman to come in and be like, okay, you need like not just one lumpy smelly pillow. You need two pillows. You need like dishware. If that's the case, yes. But if like he just moved in or if he's going through it in life, like no. Oh my god, that's so funny because I had it as a red flag for Stacy. So
3: now that you're all caught up, there was a couple... On this most previous season, his name was Izzy. Her name was Stacy. And it's funny. I didn't actually add this to my list, but I had it in there, which was like, she goes to his house and she's like, you have no nightstands. Why do you have no nightstands? I mean, you need real furniture. And then he has this like lost and found drawer for like the random things that girls leave at his house. And she's like, this is ridiculous and immature. And then she sees that he uses paper plates and she's like... Is this a maturity thing? Like, I would judge you so hard if you invited me to your house and cooked me a meal and served me paper plates. And what's so funny is that, like, for me, I was like, it is such a red flag for me. She is so critical of him. But maybe that's just because, like, I don't give a shit if I have nightstands or use paper plates.
2: Okay. So I literally had it in my notes to ask what your thoughts were on this. Because, yes, on one hand, like, the coming in and just blasting with criticism, it was very jarring. And Stacey's definitely one of the villains of this season. On the other hand, if he's doing this in the vein of men that kind of expect their partners to be mommy and take care of all those things, then that's when it would be a red flag. And I've witnessed a lot more of that side of things. But I've also been the, you know, disposable cups person myself. So It's a neither. It's like a muddled whatever. I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. It's whatever red and green make mixed together. Well,
3: and I, you know, the reason why it didn't end up on my official list is because that to me isn't necessarily like an objective red flag. Like I wouldn't tell a friend who told me that story like, oh, run. I think for me, that's more of like, that should be like a subjective yellow flag of like, hey, Maybe our values aren't aligned or like maybe this like if you're somebody who I don't care at all about whether I have nightstands and you're someone who's like I very much would like judge people that aren't serving, you know, meals on dish like glass dishes or whatever. It's not saying that you're incompatible, but it certainly seems like I think I would to me, I see that as just like two different people with two different sets of values, two different life experiences. And I think that it's how they deal with those different lifestyles that matters. Because if the way he's going to deal with it, like to your boy, if the way he's going to deal with it is like, well, I just am not going to step up my game at all. Like I'm going to continue to not care about any of this and just allow you to take over the labor of all of it. And maybe even like roll my eyes at it when it's important to you and not pick up after like if he's like refuses to wash dishes and is like, well, I did never want the dishes like that for sure would not be OK with me. But on the other hand, if she's going to maintain this like I'm above you, I'm better than you because I have nightstands, that's when I'd be like, oh, I don't know if that's going to like work well long term of you because like, I thought, I mean, he had his issues, but he was like, I- I'm sorry.
2: I'm just like, dude, and I didn't want to wash plates. And so I do these. I know Izzy and Stacy are, I think, the most polarizing couple, because I think people are very passionate about which one is a red flag, but people are very much divided on who is the red flag in their various scenarios. Stacy, in some ways, it feels like she's trying to push him just to see what reaction she'll get. Like, even demand, what have you done for me? He's like, well, we've been here for three days and I've been working. Well, I've been doing stuff for you. Like, it does kind of seem like she's prodding him to see what she's going to dig up in this time. You know, let's show him, whether consciously or subconsciously, let's show him my worst side and just be on his case about every little thing. This is, I think, I want to say highlight, but more like low light, I think, of the season. And talk about rejected bids. So this is when they were still in the pods. This was Izzy and Johnny. And so Izzy or Johnny made me sad when she started off with her intro package. She was undermining herself with every statement. Like even she's like, oh, I'm a lawyer, which everyone thinks that I'm argumentative, but I'm not. And oh, uh, you know, I've had really flawed relationships, but I'm not broken. I don't think I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe. Ooh. Yeah, bless God. Life is tough and everyone comes into dating at that age with some with some trauma in their past, but she's really carrying it close to the chest. And so she rolls out her talking about her ex and him passing away and having issues of addiction and mentions that it's a huge insecurity of her that she's broken and he says nothing. And the first response after a very uncomfortable pause is him rambling into the thought that he should have known this earlier. And it really put me off so much because this is an important, very important part of early relationships at a certain stage, not date one and not day two, but starting to really roll out, like, these are capital T traumas of mine. Like, what do you think? And the fact that he can't handle it was surprising to me, too, because I'm like, she's not... Her life is fairly together. This is something that happened in the past. You can't even accept this tragedy of her past.
3: Yeah, he certainly didn't seem to have the skill set to hold any space for it or respond to it. And again, like not everybody is at the same place. And so it's not like I think some objective, like he's not ready for a relationship with anybody. But I think that if I were Johnny, like I'd be with you where I'd be like, oh, so for me personally, like that maybe is a concerning response because and like a lot of these things in early dating, it's not like you and en- there's not a lot of things that I would just like immediately end after one red flag, because again, like I like to remind people that the term red flag as like a metaphor comes from the fact that like when you are laying like gas pipes and things and and pipes underground, you put like a little red flag on the ground so that people know that there's something there. But you don't know what's there just because there's a little red flag there. And so it doesn't necessarily mean like a red flag isn't necessarily definitely something's wrong with this person and it's gonna be bad. It's just, it's like a yield. It's a like, oh, you need to keep an eye on that. You need to be aware that that could signify something deeper that could not be a place that you wanna dig at or this, that and the other, right? And so like, that would be one of those ones where I'd be like, huh, okay, file that away. For sure, start to observe how he responds to other types of conversations because if in the process of dating, I start to notice that like, oh, there are other moments like that. He does not have the skill set to go there with me. And is that something I really want in a partner or not?
2: I'm so fascinated. I never knew that was where the red flag metaphor came from. And so it's so good because it makes it even a better of a metaphor to me because like, are you qualified to dig in this place? Because that's also, I mean, in a literal sense, they're signifying like, hey, there's something here. But sometimes, yeah, you have to have the qualifications. And the red flags are different to each person. I mean, there's...
3: Well, wh- whether you're willing to like dig, right?
2: Yeah, there's universal abort behavior. But then there's things like this where I remember when I was first dating and my best friend, we were dating kind of at the same time in our own respective cities. And I was like, I need someone who is has experienced trauma, has process it to a certain extent and who can meet my kind of glib personality at times and just and can really like dance with that kind of that whatever melancholy and she's like I and for her even though she's been through her experience in life she's like I need someone who's like upbeat and super positive about everything and so for both of us like we would have opposite red flags in that sense but it just hurt to see because basically the way that the scene ends is Izzy just says he's very overwhelmed and doesn't really know what to say just leaves and just left
3: i actually had empathy for him in that scene because it was clear to me that like at least to me my opinion was like it wasn't like a character flaw of his it was just like an emotional skill set issue
2: okay that a lot of people have i think i've seen too much because i was like all she says her ex died of a drug addiction like get with it it's not even that bad i was like oh my god (laughs) oh my god (laughs) This is a me thing. Come on, buddy. But
3: I think that's valid. Like you might be someone who like you have that one instance. You're like, not for me, not for me. And for me, I'm like, hmm, I'm going to keep an eye on that. But if I was in either of those situations where someone starts to make like little comments on my appearance, that to me might be like a, I don't think I'm going to do a second date with this person.
2: Okay. This is the, you know, I don't know how much time we particularly need to spend on it because I think it was everyone's red flag. Uh, JP and Taylor, JP, the Star Spangled Banner man, in his only wearing red, white, and blue, he was instantly the villain when they got engaged, or they met for the first time. They, after getting engaged, he was shut down from the get go, almost catatonic. Like, he was really <laughs> just. It was like pulling teeth to get any kind of basic conversation. Like, yeah, anything beyond a one word answer out of him. And like, so in the build up to this moment that stood out, he's so uncomfortable. And he's like, so what do we do now? (laughs) He just has a very poor social skills paired with the fact that he's also uncomfortable in this dynamic. And Taylor's trying her best. She's so sweet. And at one point she confronts him with this and I, I wrote this down because he said we'll get past it just keep looking forward because all we have is right now I'm like you're speaking like fridge magnets that doesn't even mean anything like it's the most he volunteered it was like just these contrived sayings but he said that it's his red flag that she was wearing so much makeup and this is so obvious to me just an excuse for him to get out of this relationship He's just picking at straws because there's really nothing at this point that he could find that would have really turned him off.
3: Yeah. I almost had that as an example for like criticizing appearance. I don't know whether that like, it kind of seems like an excuse to me, but even if it wasn't like, that's another one of those, like, I genuinely cannot fathom a person telling me that they think that I wear too much makeup in the dating phase. Like that would never be okay with me. Even if I did, even if I had it caked on, even if it looked like shit, don't. I think it's a red flag for you to say that to me because to be that comfy and also like we're dating, like it's not like we're together and I suddenly started wearing a lot of makeup and you're like, babe, that's a lot. Like this is clearly who I am. Like I am someone who wears a lot of makeup. And if you don't like that, well, that's what it comes with. Like, this isn't something that hurts you that's like, should be negotiable about, like, I wish that you wouldn't act that way. It's like, this is a woman that wears makeup. And if she wears too much makeup for you, this isn't the woman for you. We don't get to, especially, I mean, never really, but like early on in that dating phase, like, this isn't a Build a Bear. Like, there's not like, hmm, if they just changed this and this and this and this, I would really like them.
2: And even if you meet your person or you meet someone you're really excited about and you're not a big makeup person, but they wear a lot of makeup, that's something you look past. And then maybe at some point you could say like, oh, you look so beautiful when you're natural. Like, that's my favorite. You could say like there's ways to say it that I think are appropriate, like down the line, because we all while criticizing someone's appearance is never OK, we all also have our preferences for significant others and like, oh, you know, preferring when they wear this style or whatever it is. But there's a way like you could say, oh, you look horrible in that or oh, I prefer I love this shirt on you.
3: I will say this. I think sometimes people don't believe that there are people out there that love people despite what they look like. And I'm not saying that they're not attracted to that person. Like you can be attracted to someone And it still not have to do with like every little specific of them. Like, it's so hard to say, like, I know that there are probably outfits that my partner prefers. I know that there might be a way to do my hair that he likes. I know that there might be, you know, but there are also like life is so long. Like there are also seasons where I'm exhausted or I'm chronically ill or I just had a baby or I'm sick or I'm busy. And if his enjoyment of me significantly decreases when I'm not sexually attractive to him. That's a long life. And I sometimes think people truly don't know or believe that like there are people out there that love each other and are attracted to each other that don't care if some of those physicalities change. Like I was describing to someone one time, They were asking like what my type is. And I was like, I would certainly say I have a type. Like there's certain types of things that I tend to always find myself attracted to just by looking. But I also can tell you that like my attraction to my partner's body is not because his body fits a type that I am predisposed to be attracted to. Like I find attraction to his body because it's his body. And that's not to say, like, I think I like it when his hair is long rather than short. I like when he has a beard better. Like, yeah, sure. But if those things go away, I don't cease wanting to be around him. I don't cease wanting to touch him or be intimate with him or have a relationship with him. It doesn't bother me. Like, that's out there.
2: Yeah, personality and pheromones and whatnot can be the big bridge of whatever things didn't match with your conception of who you want to be or, like, or times of illness or whatever, or just the way you look at home versus outside the home. Most people look pretty schlubby at home and prefer it that way. So you want to be comfortable with that. For JP to say like, oh, you're, it made me so uncomfortable. Like you're wearing a completely different face. In my notes, I wrote, JP's worst nightmare is Halloween. <laughs> 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 Everyone looks different, but I think with JP, he's not being true to himself in a really fundamental way. There's something to me, there's something in him that he's denying what that is. Like, I don't know. That's up for the viewer. If you know, do it that way you will, but it's like, he is so shut down. And if you're that shut down around someone who is being so kind and so caring, even if they're not your type, the fact that you can't shine it on and be like, Joke around or enjoy the beach in Mexico. Like you're in a little paradise. And I can see that bubble deflating once you get back to the real world. And they're like, oh my God, this is not this idyllic situation, but you don't have to work. I don't think they have their phones. So they're not dealing with emails and stress of life. They're in a beautiful, paid for resort and you can't make it happen then. Like something's running deep with JP.
3: Yeah. And I also think like sometimes the, the stuff that we're discussing, like, it's understandable in their circumstance. Cause like, Oh my God, I'm supposed to be marrying this person in four weeks and I'm not sure I picked the right part. Like get it right. Whatever. But I think that it's still totally valid to talk about like, if you see this behavior in the wild, you know what I mean? Like if you see someone who is so shut down, they can't even talk about like what's wrong with them. and You just started dating. Like again, best foot forward. Like Man, that's gonna be a long relationship with someone who is never going to be able to talk about, you know, what they feel, what's wrong with them. And also like, you know, not as applicable with love is blind, because I know that they're pressured to like get to the altar. But in real life, like if you find something about someone in that dating phase that's a deal breaker for you, you just end the relationship.
2: Yeah. Or you decide, okay, with this situation and this person, it's enough that I'm going to overcome this and just get over it because everything else makes it worth it. And even though, you know, it is giving them some grace to be like, oh, you know, it's an unnatural situation. At the same time, this is the first couple days. They just met each other. Like there's a lot of people that I would get along better with if we had to interact at some nice resort resort in mexico i'd be like sure whatever (laughs) like when it's all good we're watching the sunset how you know how shut down can i really be (laughs) but yeah that was a moment i'd love to hear about your next red flag this is like flag flag hopping
3: (laughs) i know it's like flag football over (laughs) here So this one is another couple. This is actually for season three. So I'm to go all the way to season three for a second because there's a couple named Bartise and Nancy. And one of the things that happens in the trip to Mexico is that they spend a couple of days with the person they chose and then they have like a mixer. So all of the couples that coupled up like get to meet each other, which means that there might've been people that people had connections with or were like in the running for their top three that they didn't end up with, but now they're seeing them for the first time. So the reveal to their fiance already happened, but now there's kind of like this reveal to maybe these other men and women that they had a connection with, but ultimately chose not to propose to. So in this little mixer, Bartiz ends up seeing this other woman that he had a connection to, that he eventually chose his fiance over and recognizes like, whoa, she's a bombshell. She's exactly like what I would go to. And then later on, He and his fiance are like laying in bed, having this conversation about like, what was it like to see these people that you had connections with? And Nancy makes this comment where she's like, I saw blah, 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 whatever. And let me tell you, like when I saw him, I just thought, nope, I'm good. And her comment is like, I'm so happy that I'm with who I'm with. This is definitely the right choice for me. And then I'm going to play for you Bartisa's response
0: when i saw him today i definitely was like okay i'm good like i'm so good (laughs) like i'm good so that's the opposite of what that's the opposite of what i experienced i'd love to see everybody for the first time raven's like the typical girl that i would go after in the real world like raven's she came down she's wearing the tight clothes i was like okay she's a fucking smoke show she's hot as shit i was like okay we're both like the person that people come to and we both draw attention. They see Raven, they see me, they say, okay, that's the person I want to go talk to because they look good. Me and Raven in the pause because we were so similar. The- I literally cried because of you and Raven. I didn't know that. Damn. Nancy and Raven I was like, fuck. I'm literally having feelings for multiple women right now. But you, you were up here, right? So I was like, damn, I to just my gut. And then here we are now.
3: So let's discuss. Now, out the gate, obviously, shitty behavior by him because, like, you don't talk about how hot other women are to your fiance. Like, that obviously is going to hurt her feelings. But that's not even my issue. I want to go a little bit deeper because when there's some pushback to this conversation, like, he kind of defends himself with, like, like I was just trying to be honest. And at the end, he ends up saying like, and like in his mind, his narrative is like, I felt really strongly towards her. I felt really attracted towards her. And like, I almost picked her in the pods, but like eventually I felt like you were the better choice. And so I picked you and here we are. And like to him, he's like, that's just honest. So I feel like, I mean, it's a softball issue that like, you don't talk about how hot other women are to your fiance, but my real issue is this. This is something that people do and I call it fake intimacy. And it's when a partner discloses to their partner a very like vulnerable thoughts and feelings about their relationship that are hurtful to the person who is hearing it. And it's almost this way of being like, I want to use you as a confidant. You're a safe person. I just want to be my whole self and come to you and lean on you and do this. And I'm being so, look, I'm being so vulnerable. I'm being so honest. I'm telling you everything. I am, you know, this intimate moment of here's who I really am standing before you. But it is an extremely emotionally immature misunderstanding about what intimacy and vulnerability means in particular, like a monogamous relationship. It is okay for you to not tell your partner every thought in your head. All that whole string that he just said, like, It's not he's I don't think he's a bad person for thinking it or feeling it or experiencing it. And I don't know if he was intending to hurt his fiance, but it genuinely seemed like he didn't have a clue that that was not the appropriate person to tell that to. That's something you tell your friend. That's something you tell your group chat. That's something you tell your counselor or your mentor or a good friend. Like that's something you process and unpack with someone else. And I've seen this in relationships where, you know, like I one time had a boyfriend that came to me about like, I just, I feel like we should break up, but I don't know because on the one hand, like I really love you, but on the other hand, like I hate you. And it's like, oh, right. And I've seen this in my friends relationships where they'll almost like talk, openly about sometimes I just don't want to be in this relationship. Sometimes I want to do. And like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be honest when you don't want to be in a relationship, but that's not, I don't know. Does that make sense? It's like, I feel like I'm being so vulnerable with you, but it's not appropriate. Like I've seen that in other relationships around me where like a friend will come to me and be like, he just like unloaded on me about how like he's not sure if he wants to be in the marriage anymore. And like, obviously if if you don't want to be in a relationship, there is a time and place to talk to someone and tell them that. But there's this weird, like, I feel like I'm doing the right thing because I'm being so vulnerable with you. But it's like, I want to use you as my, like, safe confidant and not think about the fact that, like, the shit I'm saying is hurtful to you.
2: Yeah, it's the oldest trick in the book to say whatever hurtful things you want and be like, but I'm being honest, I'm being vulnerable. And to even put it as, oh, you're like this good person, because you're bringing forth vulnerability. And honesty is really important to you. It's like, if you have something difficult to talk about, first of all, evaluate if it's an inside thought or an outside thought, because that was definitely an inside thought in with Bartise. But if it's something like, okay, if you know, going back to like a superficial example of like, oh, your partner's facial hair, whatever, you're like, you really, really hate their facial hair, you know, and you can bring it to them in a way being like, Hey, just, you know, we've been together for a while. I'm like, maybe not the biggest fan, but I love this, but also, you know, do what you want. I don't know. There's a way of saying it. Then you could be like, I'm being honest. I hate the way your face looks. This is so ugly. And I'm not turned on at all. Like there's a different way to navigate that. But if you just slap the label, on it, if I'm being honest, it's not a get out of jail free Mm -hmm. card.
3: And I think that if you grow up having a lot of superficial relationships, and you're trying to learn how to have deeper relationships, more vulnerable relationships, more honest relationships, I think that it can be an honest mistake to make of, oh, this is how you be vulnerable. You tell every single thing. I also think that if you have maybe a bit of like an anxious attachment to someone, it's like, this is the way you're building intimacy is like, sort of like that we're creating this bond by telling every single thought to each other. And I think that is like, I have a lot of empathy for people who are like, where is the line? Like how transparent am I supposed to be with my partner? Cause that is one way that is like a way you build intimacy, but then like what things am I not supposed to be transparent about? And when is not being transparent, actually being dishonest.
2: Yeah. I absolved a lot of behavior in the past of, oh, they're being honest. And I like that you bring up not knowing how to navigate that because as much as I would consider myself intelligent and discerning, didn't apply any of that to my own self and past dating life. And it took, you know, on my podcast, like my co-host and also just bestie Sammy, like so many conversations of being like, that's actually, that is not allowed. You're not allowed to say that. That's a red flag. And I'd be like, really? I thought that was just normal. No. And she would have to just talk me through the ABCs, what's okay and what's not. And it is hard because I'm also saying this too, in that I am critiquing these folks, but I've fallen into so many of these own trappings in my past. I've been the red, you know, I've exhibited the red flags. Like this is not to like put us on a pedestal. And like, at the same time, they're putting their relationship on display by choice on a TV show. So yeah. Yeah. Listen, a- I have
3: no idea if these people are good people or not, but I can tell you that we can use some of these interactions as examples and a jumping off point to talk about like things I wish my younger self knew, right. And things I want my kids to know and things that I want my friends to know and things that, that, you know, that I've learned like hard lessons from.
2: Yeah. And I find Myself after so many past moments of rejected bids in past situations. I'm still in this situation, like years into what I would call a very healthy dynamic. And I still always brace myself for rejected bids and they'll be accepted. And I'll be like, oh, I didn't know you could have so many bids accepted, like so many just turning for a little moment of validation throughout the day because there's behavior that everyone can see is bad. And then there's really normalized dynamics that are, I would consider extremely unhealthy. Okay. This is more of, it's a mix of red flags, green flags, and wanting to know your opinion about this. So this is going back to Stacey and Izzy with the whole conversation about finances. This was a huge talking point in on the show. And ultimately like to briefly recap there, the finance issue is sort of being brought up in a more casual way. First of all, Stacy's asking him like softball, like, Oh, going out for dinner. Like who should pay? And Izzy's like 50, 50. And she's like, no, obviously the man pays for dinner. That's her view. Then she's saying we have to go over checking savings, etc. Later on, kind of when they're down to the wire, it comes out that he has a really bad credit score. And that's why he doesn't have credit cards. And he kind of hid this information. And There's so many layers to this because Stacey just, I don't like the way she goes about any most things that she brings forth. Like it's very, it's a bit hard to watch. It's a bit jarring and intense. At the same time, I get the drive to have these conversations and to really push to turn over every little stone possible because money is something that's incredibly taboo. And at the same time is one of the, Biggest things that married couples fight about, or I think you're the expert on this, but isn't it like one? Yeah, and it's also and be- but then because it's taboo, uh, well, like sex too, but because it's taboo, people often don't even talk about it before they get married, and so I think that I wish there were more healthy examples of people pushing to have those conversations before getting married, but instead we have Stacey who's coming in like guns a-blazing, just being like, (laughs) what are you doing with your life? Like, this isn't okay with me. And really digging into Izzy in a really harsh way. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this.
3: So I have this thought that she has a really clear picture about what she wants in a lifelong partnership. And I think she wants to occupy, I think she wants to be kind of like the strong woman that she is. And I think she very much wants to occupy a traditionally female, like feminine role as a strong woman in a relationship, which means I think that what she wants is someone who... Has their life together in the way that she pictures togetherness, right? Like someone who has dinner parties, someone that has savings, someone that has a 401k, someone that has a career, someone that sort of takes the reins and says, here's what we're going to do for vacation. What do you think? Someone that will say, our money is our money and your money is your money, sweetheart, right? Like someone who is going to be able to support with her helping a certain level of standard of living. Like that's what I think she wants. And I think she wants a man that is emotionally intelligent and will pay attention to her and be emotionally responsive to her. I think that it's no surprise that she has always dated older men, like 10 years older, because they're typically the ones like she's in her early 30s, right? Or maybe she's 29. I don't know. Because those are typically the...
2: Sorry, she's 33. And I know this because later on, spoiler alert, when she, when she rejects Izzy, he says... Said makes me wonder why you're 33 and unmarried. (laughs) (laughs) So
3: she makes this comment that, you know, she's always dated, which makes sense because men in their forties are going to be more likely to kind of already figured out the starting of the life stuff. They've got the dishes, they've got the 401k, they've got the this, that, and the other. And so I think that she really likes Izzy. I think that she finds emotionally what she wants in Izzy. And I think she is deeply afraid that she's not going to get the type of life she's looking for with Izzy. Now, I don't think that's right, wrong, good or bad. I think that she's feeling a lot of internal conflict over, right? Because she has two choices, which is decide that this is the love of your life and none of that other stuff matters and it's going to look different or decide No, I'm really clear about what kind of life I want to live. And I probably will not be able to achieve the happiness and stability that I'm looking for if I don't have it. And so as much as I love this person, I'm going to need to pass either till I find someone that has everything I'm looking for or decide that what that person is able to provide by way of type of life is actually more important to me than their level of emotional intelligence and intimacy. I don't have any judgment on that. I think that she's experiencing a lot of internal conflict and because she's in this place right now where she's not ready to choose one or the other. She wants to have both. She's feeling ambivalent. She doesn't want to break up with Izzy necessarily. So she's in this period where she's like, well, maybe I can like grind it out and get him to be this person that can provide that type of life for me. Even her own father says to him, hey, she's going to want you to pay for things. She's going to want to be doted on. She's going to want to take vacations. She's going to want to do all of these things. And are you prepared to do that? And like, we don't know. I'm not really sure what Izzy does for a living, but I don't, it's not that. And so she's in this phase of, let's see what you got. I'm really scared because this isn't looking like what I had pictured, but can I force you into this? Like, can I, you know, can you move into this thing here? And I think she loves him and is scared every time it seems like you may not be able to get him to be that person. Yeah.
2: And I like the nuanced approach that you have to this because in the end, when she walked away, as much as I wasn't a big fan of her delivery and the way that she went about these things, her deciding to walk away at the altar to me was like, this is a non-negotiable. I've evaluated whether I could pass on this, but I actually can't. It is a non-negotiable. And then, so I'm not going to go through with it. And I wish more couples would be honest with themselves and each other about what kind of factor this plays into it. Because bringing up money, considering how much people fight about it as an important factor in this decision doesn't make you superficial, tends to be labeled that way.
3: No, I think it's valid to want to be stable. I think it's valid to say, I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. And as much as that's in my control, if that's a value of mine, am I with a partner that is going to make that their value so that we can kind of work towards the same goal? It's interesting. Like I was talking to this with a friend of mine. We were talking about a couple that we know where he's very, very wealthy and she's sort of that like classic You know, she was a hairdresser and then they got married and she doesn't work and he's older and, you know, she likes to shop and she really enjoys the lifestyle. And I truly believe they care about each other, but they very much have like a business arrangement. And she became sort of upset like 10 or 15 years into the relationship about like his emotional availability. And he's a really kind and generous man, but he'll never be a very emotionally available person for a number of reasons, one of which probably being his neurotype, but just like his, whether it's trauma or personality or preference or values or whatever it is, he's not going to be that. And there's this kind of interesting take on it, which is like, I think that it's valid for any person to want emotional intimacy. And I think I would never tell someone like, well, you get what you get, like, sure. And there is kind of this like self-awareness of, You knew who this person was when you decided to marry them. And you wanted the benefits of this sort of relational arrangement where you took care of him in this way and he takes care of you in this way and you care and respect for each other. But that is what that's going to be. And you probably are not going to be able to change him. And if you can't be happy with that, that's something you've got to be really honest with yourself because with this particular person, you're probably not going to get both.
2: Yeah, it comes down to being honest with yourself about what you want to accept. And I also, I have a friend who has that dynamic and I would say she has a happy marriage because they have been together for a long time and got engaged very far into their relationship. But she said she spent a year really honestly thinking like, do I want to trade the lack of some emotional intimacy and empathy Like there's sympathy, but not empathy. Like this guy won't really read into any emotions type of thing. If, if like your face, you know, is reading that you had a bad day.
3: Do I want, or sometimes time. Like if it's someone who is always going to be traveling or working or things like that.
2: Yeah. And, but they take care of each other in a way that is part of this arrangement. And she ultimately decided like, yeah, I am okay with this and went through with it. And it was an example of such a, a healthy thing because you can say that your non-negotiables are so firmly entrenched. And I'm sure she went into the start of her dating life not thinking like, oh, I want someone who's a bit like distant and aloof and doesn't really like pick up when I've had a bad day. But then for me knowing him, I'm like, I get it. Like this guy's solid and dependable and will always be there and will always provide in every other way from a place of caring.
3: And I mean having known some friends and family that came from a really unstable upbringing. I'm like it's okay if that's your value. Like there's also like more to life. There's more to your emotional intimacy. Like your partner shouldn't be the only person you're getting emotional intimacy from anyways. Like a rich emotional life is your friends and your family and your community and, and you know and so I'm with you. Like I don't have any judgment on that
2: exactly like that's a nail in the head and i've learned so much from our conversations because in with this particular person that i know making that decision she ultimately decided like i am going to get a lot of my fulfillment like from community from friends and everything and it was the best lesson that i could have learned in also just not wanting your partner to be everything to you to fulfill every single box of needs that you have and really evaluating like what other parts and people in your life can provide for you is really valid and I actually wrote down some quotes from Izzy after he re- got rejected by Stacy at the altar and so I know when you're hurt this was like right after and so I also I'm not faulting him like if someone left me at the altar I would probably have some harsher words, you know, but he said like credit scores, looks, none of that stuff matters. Well, he also said, it makes me wonder why you're 33 and unmarried, which, okay, that's <laughs> funny in, to say in this day and age, but he said, love is blind. You can, you ignore all those obstacles in the real world when you find that special someone. It's like, not really.
3: <laughs> Some people do, I guess.
2: I mean, yeah, like, but yeah, love isn't in a very important part of the equation, but it needs to be paired with a realistic look at what those obstacles are and if you can overcome it or if it's going to constantly put strain on you.
3: Yeah. So I would say like, if you have a different view on those things than your partner, like that's an issue. I don't know. I also like my husband was working at Sherwin-Williams when I met him. And I was like, if this man works at Sherwin-Williams for the rest of his life, I'm going to marry him. And I live in a cardboard box with him. 100%. Like I knew that this was it. And I didn't feel any ambivalence about that. And so like, that's the other thing is like, it really is, like you said, it's about being honest with yourself because if you're out there in a relationship and you're not getting that met, but that's something you want and have always wanted, it's not to say like, well, but everybody has their faults. It's like, no, like you get to go look for what you want. I mean, as long as you're, you know, you wouldn't be like violating your values by leaving your relationship, but like you get to want that and you get to prioritize that. And I don't pass judgment on people that don't.
2: Yeah, I think there's, I don't know if you've seen this on TikTok, but there's really common thread that I see where it's like, men need to be paying for everything. And like, if you don't subscribe to that, you're compromising your values. Because we as women, we always have are at a disadvantage. And when I had gone into the dating life, I had internalized this to such a degree that I was like, yeah, if anyone asked me to like go 50-50, like they're out because the patriarchy is real. And then met my current partner. I'm like, oh, well, I was born in Canada, didn't have any kind of language barriers by basically every metric have had more of a leg up in life. And it just flipped all that on its head. And I'm like, there's dating experts, quote unquote, dating experts love to come in with these hard and fast rules, but they're just usually... It's not like that in real life.
3: Oh, you know what's really interesting? The whole conversation is like a tangent, but the whole conversation about like who should pay, what gets left out of that conversation is like the historical context about why the man pays, which actually isn't about like he's the man, you're the woman. Like it used to be considered like an unwritten rule that whoever invited the other person to a meal was paying. So don't think about romance for a second. Just think about friends and business acquaintances. Like if I call you as a friend and I say, let's go out to dinner, it used to be understood that the person doing the inviting to it was paying because I picked the restaurant. I asked you to come out. It would be rude for like, you didn't make this arrangement. I've invited you to come. So I'm not then going to require you to pay because I don't know if you can pay. I don't know if you can afford it. you like, you're my guest. So that's how it used to be like even with my mom growing up, like if she invited a, a girlfriend to lunch, she, it was like whoever invited paid it was the same in the business world. If you, you know, invited someone out for a business dinner, whoever did the inviting and the arranging of the dinner, it was understood that you were covering the cost of the person you were inviting. It just so happened that also culturally speaking, men were the only ones asking women on dates. So if we were to go by culturally that the rule wasn't the man pays, the rule is whoever is inviting the other person pays because that's considered polite because you're the one picking the restaurant. So the actual rule would be like whoever asked the other one to go to the meal. So if you said, "Hey, I'd love to take you to dinner." That's why we call it take you to dinner. It's then you would be the one paying. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I just think it's interesting that that bit of historical context gets lost on why it is that way. And I'm not saying there isn't patriarchal issues in there. Of course, there is as far as like in a lot of cultures where the woman maybe isn't working. But I just always thought that was interesting.
2: That's so fascinating to me. And I didn't know about that custom. And I'm thinking it actually might be a good thing to implement that a bit more in our world, even in platonic situations, like with friends, because it is this thing that people don't really talk about where it's like, okay, if you have, you know, one friend who's inviting the other out to like a five Michelin star quality restaurant and being like, oh, you know, come on out. Yeah, we talked about the Venn diagram between both of our content. And I think on a very surface level, you might not see as much overlap, but it's so we're really saying the same things in different settings of just really looking at life and turning over these dynamics and seeing like what we can pull out of them and how that reflects in our own lives so thank you for this conversation this was lovely
1: this podcast has been brought
0: to you by the sonar network
1: sonar